0: so much to explore at total wine and more pinot noirs Grigios, champagnes and chardonnays plus more than 2500 beers and bourbon barrel aged tequila rum scotch and gin vermouth that's extra dry hard seltzers and single
1: malts so many for you to try now offering delivery in select markets see details at totalwine.com slash delivery drink responsibly be 21
2: Welcome to the AFA Podcast, the official podcast of animationforadults.com, and welcome to episode 69. Uh, my name is Rachel Ward, and I am joined today by Chris. Hello. Hello, Rachel. Hello, and Dan. Hello. Hey. Thanks once again, guys, for joining me for today's episode. Um, we're we're going to take a look into a different topic today. Uh, today, we're going to see if we can discuss a little bit more about uh, animated television, specifically uh, animated television in the West. And uh, how there seems to be an ongoing uh, trend Within the last, at least last couple decades I think, with they're doing a lot more Animation or animated series That are tending to uh, do a lot more Of uh, telling a serialized narrative Or telling a story from episode to episode That continues And um, just kind of basically break down A little bit of the history on that And um, you know shows we've experienced That did that, kind of, did that sort of thing growing up And uh, just see where the conversation goes from there well, before we get into uh, both the news and our uh, topic of discussion for today, we're just gonna do some really quick plugs. Um, if you want to find other episodes of our podcast, you can access them via our website. Also iTunes, stitcher and podcast dot com. though if those some of those, I think it's podcasts, I think podcast and iTunes, I think are um, only have a certain number of our episodes. So if you want the full list, definitely check that out on our website and um, you all can also check out our Patreon if you'd like to support the podcast and you can get access to our podcast episodes early and if you are very nice then we can uh, see if we can um, put in a plug for you in exchange for the Patreon bonus so there's that and also it's a new uh, new uh, site we're trying out it's the, uh, a little interesting thing called Coffee, I believe it's coffee.com Chris?
3: I, I think so it's K O dash F I and you can buy us a virtual coffee to say thank you for the stuff we do for you. It's a way of showing your appreciation, like a virtual tip, and the idea is it's about the amount that you spend on a coffee, so
2: Yeah, which we'd all we'd always appreciate. So um and also as always if there you are any of- one
3: though. Just yep. to say. You can, <laughs> yeah.
2: And as always, for all of our listeners out there, if you have any particular topics of discussion that you would like to hear us speak about, and you know, please, please let us know on any form of social media that you follow us on, whether that be Facebook, Twitter, um, Pinterest, you know, just you know, reach out to us or even send us an email saying, hey, you know, we'd like to you know hear you talk about this particular aspect of the animation industry or a movie of particular. Just we, you know, we'd love to hear from you. and Get, get everyone involved. So hope to hear from you. Okay, so let's go right into the news then, and uh, I want to lead off with a rather big story that uh, kind of broke relatively recently, and uh, that is that they finally have confirmed that uh, le- uh, animation legend uh, Hayao Miyazaki-san is indeed working on a brand new feature movie. To so, um, I think they believe they stated that he was he started working on this particular film in I think it was it was June of last year, wasn't it?
0: I think it was July. Oh, I, think, July I think he, he proposed me. it in July.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: it's he's probably really only just started on it.
2: Yeah, and he's working. Um, he's also working on uh, Bordo the caterpillar short, as well.
0: Why not? Why not work on two things at once? At yeah, I mean,
2: considering old, how was, like, he was, not? he was flirting with you know re- retiring from you know <laughs> the job altogether. It's like you know go from possibly considering retirement once again to oh, you know what? I'll work on a short and a feature film
3: several places are still saying oh the film is going to be as the caterpillar no. but it's not
2: no yeah it's, as of as as this point up. in time as of this point in time there uh what exactly the feature film is going to be has not been officially stated by anyone of, lately but we were we are going to keep an eye on uh you know see how that story develops But just if you're a Miyazaki fan just you know take comfort in knowing that a we're getting a uh, a short and b we're going to be getting a new animated feature directed by him in the relative future so stick uh stay glued to our website and for um more details as they come out
0: yeah he's he said um he said that he plans for it to be released around the 2020 Olympics if he doesn't Oh my die. goodness really yeah he's wow. gotten, he's he's like in Miyazaki's like typical dry sense of humor that I don't think many people really I get. I think lots of people think that he really is as grumpy and as despairing as his, frankly, sarcastic comments seem. Mm. Um, but he said, yeah, if I don't die, like, making the film or the storyboards, let's, let's have it out for the 2020 Olympics.
2: You know <laughs> what?
0: I love, really. I mean, that's, um, I think, part of him probably thinks is quite romantic the idea of like dying whilst working on on a, on a film yeah um, <laughs> that's you,
2: you saw, gotta give him points for dedication
3: I saw this amazing cartoon someone had done um with Miyazaki as a cat and uh go, right I'm retiring and he's going out the door he goes no I've got come back in I'm gonna make one more uh, <laughs> oh, I'm retiring I'm going out the door again I, I, I'm gonna make one more uh you got idea. That how it
2: always goes.
3: <laughs> are you
0: sure you absolutely want to go outside and retire? like <laughs> yeah. <So> you're positive <laughs> Sorry,
2: that you, you, you don't have one more in you, but apparently he he has decided that yes, he does have another film in him, and you know what who who is anyone to deny him to try making one more animated movie because they're always they're always amazing.
0: I'll I'll say this: it's been rumored for a while. Um, that he's wanted to make a like a Chambara film, like a like a good old fashioned like Kurosawa style samurai movie.
1: Oh my um, god! Oh my god!
0: <laughs> whether whether this idea is that or not is nobody knows because Studio Ghibli are really good at uh, and Toshio Suzuki in in particular are really very very good at PR and saying mm-hmm. great little sound bites to tease. Uh, to tease people and not give away much information. But I wouldn't be surprised if it was that. But it It'd could be. It's, it's be fun to
2: speculate. I think at this point in time, it's a fun thing to speculate and, you mm. know, kind of think, you know, imagine what something like that, if, you know, Miyazaki would go ahead and, you know, make a film like that, what kind of stuff would be in it. But yeah, again, we won't know for sure until they actually come out and say it, like, okay, this is what we're working on. Yeah. And they yeah. won't and... be able to do that at this point in time.
0: Mm-hmm. The other idea that was. Being floated as well. Um, I think this is around like since before the Wind Rises was Porco Rosso the last sortie. Yeah,
3: um, I what ah! you were going to say, Porco Rosso but sequel.
0: Personally, I think that the themes that he was probably going to play with uh, in that movie were in the Wind Rises, and also I remember in the um, sorry in the in the documentary, uh, uh, um, the Kingdom of Dreams and Madness. He sort of like made a really flippant comment about Porco Rosso. Someone was mentioning it, and he went, "Oh yeah, what a foolish film!" <laughs> like it was like it was completely beneath him.
1: Hmm.
0: But I guess when you when you're making something, you have to tell yourself that you, you you're making like the best thing you've ever made, and you know, you, I I don't know. It's uh, I, I I find his dry, flippant sense of humor quite quite refreshing
1: <laughs>
0: but I and I, and I, am, I am genuinely like worried when everyone thinks like that he's just a ball of despair a bit like Werner Herzog you know like <laughs> I think everyone takes him a little bit too seriously give him a little bit more credit
2: yeah I think he's he's, he's he like I think he likes to tease people when he says yeah. when, he, when, he, when he says stuff like that absolutely He's a very, very interesting man, and I'm looking forward to seeing. Uh, regardless of what it is, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what he's working on next.
3: Maybe it'll be kitten bus the movie.
2: Okay. <laughs> that cat bus, kitten bus. I like the bus. For that.
3: There was a kitten the, bus short. Yeah, it was kit, kitten bus is a short at oh, the right. Museum. Mm-hmm. Oh. Me, and the, kitten Me bus. and the
0: kitten bus, and there's a grand, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a grandma bus, which is like. It's got like fifty windows, and there's like a oh. big old cat face.
1: <laughs>
2: oh my gosh, the things that you don't have access to because you live in the US it makes me sad. Or
3: anywhere right, else other so than Japan, bad. pretty much.
2: <laughs> one day, oh, Par- one day, I'm gonna make that trip to Japan, and that's gonna be like one of my top tier destinations. <laughs>
3: uh,
0: yeah, but it's a typical Miyazaki move, really. I think, I think the problem is, is that. He's not going to let anyone else make a movie at Ghibli. I don't. I don't think it's. I. I can't remember who. It, who it was. I think it was, um, uh, Mamoru Hosoda who said. Uh, oh, I get it now. Ghibli is a place to make Miyazaki movies. Ah, uh,
2: right. And I, I think I remember we talked about this. When we were discussing. Really?
3: Uh... Yeah. Hmm. Well, there was there was a report that um, this has basically come about is because. He didn't like seeing someone else making a movie at Ghibli when they were making oh. um, Red Turtle. He's like, right, oh,
1: yeah. this isn't yeah. going to be
3: the last movie made at Ghibli. Yeah.
0: Let me tell you. Um, that was, yeah, there was um, there was like some Oscars night about um, animation, wasn't there? And, um, yeah, and Toshio Suzuki said that. Miyazaki said that watching, um, watching the dailies for the Red Turtle. <laughs> he said that he was really interested in the film, but... He said he could tell that he couldn't stand that someone else was making.
2: <laughs>
0: He's making a film. Well, there's great. always,
2: there's always, no matter what kind of you know director you <laughs> are, a... it's like there's always a little bit of uh, ego in there.
0: Yeah, that's a good enough reason to want to make a film.
2: <laughs> like I guess it's like who, who's, who's if you, if the man wants to make a movie, like go ahead and let him.
0: <laughs> oh, and somewhat related, um, I guess. Um, the Studio Ponoc film, uh, had a new trailer this week.
3: Oh, right, yeah.
0: Sorry, jumping ahead a little bit. No,
3: it's okay, um,
0: go ahead. So Studio Ponoc was set up, um, by, um, a producer, um, at Studio Ghibli. Uh, and they secretly started work on, um, uh on a new feature film. Um, They uh, being... uh, Hang on. Who was the producer of Princess Kaguya? Um, Yoshiaki Nishimura Uh
1: um,
0: has been producing a new film with Hiramasa Yonoboyashi, who uh, is best known for... Having directed uh, Arietti and when Marnie was there at Ghibli, and also just a, kind of like a Ghibli veteran, he was kind of born and raised at Ghibli creatively. He he started as an intern uh, on like Spirited Away, and then he has great animated scenes up until uh, Ponyo and and beyond. And essentially, he was as as far as I think most people could understand he was he was like the the, the young uh face of ghibli mm-hmm. um but then when the studio stopped uh stopped making um non-miyazaki animated features <laughs> essentially um uh yeah they set up a studio uh across the way from uh where studio ghibli was called studio ponock and oh, okay. the two together um yeah, it started to develop uh ideas for movies and um they've they've been working on a film called Mary and the Witch's Flower, which we've uh spoken spoken about before. Um but this week they released uh a trailer. Oh,
2: um, very cool.
0: For the film, like a full trailer. And Studio Ponarch um being very uh I guess aware like that they're that they sort of like international eyes on this film um already um hopefully released it with uh, an English version and a Japanese version oh, I nice. think that
3: was the first teaser as well like mm. before I mean now it's been picked up by Altitude for right. international rights but from from the off they they released an English language teaser when it was first announced so they mm-hmm. they've been savvy mm-hmm.
0: and it's um it's it's based on a book written by Mary Stewart. Uh who, who uh I guess is probably best known for having written The Moon Spinners, uh, which was turned into a Disney movie. Mm-hmm. Um and I think did she write The Borrowers as well?
3: No, that's Mary Norton.
0: sort of course but she, but, she, but she's um kind of i i i guess um a lot of uh Miyazaki's work is kind of based on um he actually released this list of about fifty children's books which were formative and influential to his work and i guess in the similar trend um uh but like lots of those books happen to be uh european fairy tales and european um and lots of uh british uh, children's literature in there and that's I think why they've gone for uh for for a similar sort of stock uh f- for this movie basically so it's it kind of feels and and then the the trailer's been released and it looks really exciting, but you can see already it's a little bit of a um uh what's the word like a like a cocktail of things which feel ghibli-ish
2: oh okay gotcha
0: broomsticks and um it kind of feels quite house moving castly um Mm. but also i guess uh kicky kind of like the european ghibli sort of Mm -hmm. uh, tradition that's cool yeah uh so i i Guess check that out if you're interested, but there's no. uh, I will put in the show notes. There's no there's no news yet on um, a release date outside of Japan. Uh, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Probably because part of the deal, I would assume, uh, it kind of includes that delay as as things sort of tend to. Uh, Mm -hmm. But we'll see. Yeah,
3: but we're definitely getting the cinema in the UK, so that's good.
2: Yay! Yeah. So yeah. you'll, have, you'll have to let me know how that is if, well, if, if and when it it makes its way to the U.S. as well. But if I gets can't the imagine it. want you, you guys tell me about it.
0: I cannot imagine that it won't.
3: G kids, I'll be all over that.
2: Well, speaking of G kids, segue. Um, there is another film that they're uh, they've currently picked up that there is going to be getting a uh, a bit of a wider release. That's uh. A film by Dash Shaw called uh, My Entire High School is Sinking into the Sea. I know I think we brought this film up a couple times on some previous episodes of the podcast. And um, it's uh, been officially announced that the G-Kids is uh, picking up the movie. And it's going to be uh, distributing it in wider, um, to a wider audience. And it's... Uh, I think they they have yet to announce like, specifically like what theaters that they're going to be uh, airing the movie. But... I think was there um they did confirm a date didn't they as april 14th in the both in the united states and canada at this point
3: and we'd expect it to be their usual release platform which is like opens in like new york and la and maybe like vancouver or toronto or something and yeah. then over the course of like next two three or month three or two yeah two or three months it opens in other places
2: mm-hmm. yeah it's it uh, i like i like the way that they start with like the big major like locales for like different theaters and then they kind of just like slowly kind of spread out a little bit to see to different ones and uh around the country so it should be it, it should be cool and there's also a trailer available um thing is it's both it's a and it's a, a very interesting animation style like i think it was this, probably the second time i talked about this but it's it's very it's a very different kind of animated film than i've ever seen before and so i'm really interested to see uh if i have the opportunity to go see it like how the film is going to be uh going to be handled with this particular animation style And the setting itself which is supposed to be like a uh disaster film
3: i believe <laughs> yes but it like cool. high school
2: a disaster movie in high school oh boy shenanigans <laughs>
3: Amazing cast.
2: Oh, no, yeah. Um, mm. I was like, Who is, who are some of the names? Uh, Jason, Rudolph. Jason Schwart- Schwartzman, if I'm pronouncing yep. that right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Reggie Watts and Lena Dunham.
0: Yeah. Everyone's favorite.
3: And Susan Sarah <laughs> Anden as a, as a, um, badass dinner lady. Sorry, oh, cool. lady. that's pretty good. Day in the day. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, this is, this is definitely going to be a film to keep an eye on, so, uh, if you're interested in going to see it just keep an eye on uh on uh, some news releases featured by G Kids and we'll be sure to um once we get the uh the press release of uh of when the uh, which of the different theater locations are going to be we'll be sure to uh put that up on the website. And one other thing I wanted to mention uh, in terms of uh kickstarting projects we have uh something else that's come out um I think we believe we mentioned this on the site previously. The uh Black Holes series, it was a uh, it was a short animation that I believe uh premiered in uh, the Sundance Film Festival and it was a proof of concept for uh for a series. And now that they've uh they had a pretty re- they had a pretty good run in the, the Sundance Film Festival. They've uh now released the uh the Kickstarter page in which to order to fund the rest of the series or the first season. But it's a, it's a really cool series. I mean, I love the animation style, and I believe the plot is... Uh, let me see if I can uh, give a brief synopsis here. Um, it's the series centers around an astronaut named Dave who is charged with heading up a crucial mission, uh, I believe is to go to... Uh, I think it's travel to Mars. Like, be the first, uh, first man to travel to Mars. And he is accompanied by, I kid you not, a sentient melon.
3: <laughs> yes.
2: So the whole... Uh, crux of the series is going to be these two characters and how they work off each other um, as they venture out into space and encounter various oddities. And I think the um, voice cast, let me just give you a, a couple a couple people. Um, William Fitchner, Steve Little, and, Con and, Ver, and Conrad Vernon are uh, a few names that have, uh, are, have been cast as characters in this series. So, If you're interested in uh, checking this out, we're going to leave a link to the Kickstarter in the show notes. That comes with a no, I think they don't really uh they didn't really make too much of a trailer for this, but they do have um the, the short itself that they made as kind of like the um the proof of concept, that is available to view online so you can kind to get an idea of what it's gonna be about when you watch that and if you want to support it, you know, just What's go to the called It's called Black Holes. Black
3: they, holes. They um the the people behind this, they've actually done quite a few things uh that you might have seen like music videos and, and stuff um, uh, that you get to see a bit of in like the pitch video um, like there was this how do you spell There's black not... holes? sorry to interrupt
2: it's okay um, it's uh, just black space holes
3: okay yeah, yeah um, like there was I, Was it? yeah it was a music video um, by a bloke called Mr. Wazzo that was in oh, the 40s with Flat Eric who was this puppet that became a bit of a bit of an icon for a little while. Hmm. Uh, they were involved with that and uh, I also remember a music video um uh the traps called Starlight, I think it was by Superman lovers and the visual style looks like this uh black holes a bit. So very
2: cool.
3: And you can also watch the whole short on the on the page uh, yeah, on the Kickstarter our... page or our um or our post in fact
2: yeah it's it's right it's it's literally right there um yeah i believe a uh if the they the numbers that they're trying to reach for the um to be able to create the first uh twenty two minute episode i believe is a hundred thousand dollars, so just go ahead check it out if it's something you you want back you know by all means help them out you know I believe the tiers start at five dollars and I think I think the thirty-five dollar pledge uh, gets you access to the f- uh, the first season for when it's when it is uh, fully created. So it's it's it looks like a really cool project. So by all means, check it out and see mm. if you like it and support it.
0: It looks amazing. It's really <laughs> exciting. It's really am, ambitious.
2: No, the, ama- the animation style at first I wasn't like I was it, I wasn't entirely sure what to make of it, but it's. It's definitely like the more of the uh, short that I got the chance to see was... yeah I was impressed mm-hmm. by it more and more as I went along.
3: There's a lot of, like, 2001 references in there. Uh, <laughs> so... And I, well, the whole concept I,
2: is just asked for it.
3: I I, I decided I, I like the idea of this when I realised that one of the, one of the characters, um, like, their name was Houston. I was like, ah, oh, I like Houston. Like, Houston. <laughs> We've got me. a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought, oh, that's that's clever. Nice.
2: Space puns. I love it. Or space jokes. All right. Um, And uh, also speaking of animated series, I think uh, our Archer fans are going to be really happy because they've uh, announced the, uh, the date that the next season of Archer, the eighth season specifically, is going to be airing on TV. It's going to be, I believe the air date is April 5th. And this this series, uh, this particular season, is going to be a bit different from the uh, previous ones because, I believe they're going to be doing like a, te- a detective noir uh, sort of theme for uh, for the cast this season of Archer.
3: Yeah, uh, the last season was uh, actually they were private detectives in modern LA, but this one uh, I won't explain exactly how, but it is like 1940s LA with. Uh, Archer being a private detective uh, in a film noir style world, which is very exciting, I think. And I
2: it... just, I'm. This is speaking from my own personal experience with the show. I have a hard time picturing Archer, like the character of Archer, in that uh, that particular setting. But I'm actually, I, I'm curious to see how they'll pull it off.
3: Well, they they've shake, shaken it up quite a bit. Several, they like one series where they become drug dealers. One series where they become so- it's not; they haven't just stuck to spies every time, so
2: mm-hmm.
3: so it's well, quite I... interesting when they do something different.
2: Yeah, the whole fact that they do change that up is really interesting. I just, in terms of the character, like I'm, I imagine like if he's in that kind of setting, like I just, I imagine like out of all the other scenarios we've seen him in, this is probably going to be like the most different to see him in because it's it's a very it's a bi- very big time jump.
3: But the trailer looks like. It hasn't really changed any of the characters, which is good. Oh, <laughs> they good. just look that, the that's same.
2: Important. Pam rocks. <laughs> You're not my supervisor. <laughs> that shows. That shows amazing. I love it.
3: There's going to be three more seasons in It's going to end after season ten, apparently.
2: Wow! Wow! That's really cool. Let's imagine, like, if, if we're going to this particular theme, imagine what the next ones are going to be. Like, where where could they possibly go from here?
3: Someone on on Twitter suggested perhaps I do a Western next. Oh my yes! That would be good.
2: I can imagine (laughs) Archer getting along very well in um in a Western setting. I can see him getting full on into it.
3: Mm. Or in space.
0: (laughs) I reckon. Mm. I don't know. I reckon. um, I reckon going the other way would be actually super interesting. Other like, way, which way like if they all had to i I guess actually maybe this is just as tired as going going another way with it, but um if they were to go super small with it, so hmm. pretty much if it was I'll be honest, I really really liked Archer when it was a workplace comedy,
2: mm-hmm. in a
0: regular workplace, okay, uh. Yeah. Um so if they went back that way, I wouldn't have a problem with it either.
2: That would be an interesting if they if they like the last season they brought it back to that, just kind of make it seem like it's come full circle. But who knows? They will they as you know, as long as they keep continuing to do a good job with that series, they can they can do whatever the heck they want with it.
3: The last season they just worked in an office. <laughs> <laughs> uh
2: okay, so one last bit of news before we move on to the main topic, and uh, since Yvonne is unfortunately not here to do it herself, she's working, she's a very busy, busy lady, so I'm going to make sure that I uh, plug this for her. Um, the next screening of Animation Nights New York is going to be uh, taking place uh, Wednesday, Wednesday, March 8th in the uh, 180 Maiden Lane uh, Seaport District in New York City. Um, it's going to be starting at 8pm. Admission is free. So, uh, if you find yourself in the New York area and you're looking to have a good time, definitely give them a visit down at the, uh, the seaport because, you know, and I'm speaking from personal experience having gone to, uh, their Best of Fest event. It is a, it is a grand old time. You get, you get food and snacks and you get to watch some amazing animation. So definitely check that out if you're going to be in the New York area around March 8th. And... That is about it, unless anyone else has anything else to add before we uh, jump into the main topic.
3: Nope.
2: No, nothing else. No other, no other news stories. Okay. So, as I said at the start of the episode, one of the things we wanted to discuss today, or I wanted to kind of throw out to you guys um, in terms of discussion, because uh, something I've you know we've been thinking about in terms of the uh, t- trend with uh, televised animation, at least in the West, it's ever since, like, the, um, probably since the 80s into, like, you know, the 90s into the thousands, there has been an interesting, like, trend of, like, uh, adopting, um, more of a narrative, like, storytelling with, a uh, animated television. So, like, um, say, you know, say you you have a concept for a story, and then you go episode by episode, kind of telling little bits of the story as you go, kind of, you know, from start to finish, whereas, opposed to say, you know, back in when animated television was in its early, you know, starting, starting point, it was more, like, say, episodic. Like, you would have an episode of characters, you know, have a story of antics or, um, you know, cartoonish humor or even just a little bit of a short. And then, you know, the episode would end and then it would just, you know, by the time the next episode started, everything would be back to the status quo. And I just wanted to get a, you know, put the question out to you guys in terms of, uh, you know with this the fact that there's we've seen a lot more cartoons in our animated series um trying to see it seems like they're trying to tell more of a narrative so i guess really what i want to start off with asking like when did you first like you know say if we're watching you know a a show or a series and you first really noticed that you know things would carry over from one episode to the next
3: well i don't know where i noticed it but i think i could tell you where pretty much where it started the trend um and i know we're talking about western but it kind of it's a lot of it is influenced by anime which had more of it because as you said um used to be more episodic because mainly because that was because of the um uh, requirements of the televisual landscape in the united states where they just mm. wanted to be able to show them in any order that they wanted uh they didn't want to have to be told you have to show this episode and then this episode Right, um,
1: yeah,
0: well, it was the nature of how t v used to work,
3: yeah, yeah, um, but I think one of the big turning points was Robotech, which I never actually saw
2: right, yes, Robotech
3: saw at the time, but that was one of the first series that had serialized storytelling, um because it came over from a Japanese perspective, um and that is where a lot of people who saw it at the time uh said that that that's where they first you know they thought it was revolutionary because like there's a full story it carries through and, and there are consequences and like this character can die and then they're dead and or whatever but i don't know if that yeah I, um
2: no yeah it, it, it was it w- it definitely had ongoing things think there was there was other series too but i think yeah you're right most of it did originally i think start with uh stuff that came from, like, say, Japan, or, and, uh, like, because I remember my earliest memories of, like, as a kid, when I'd be watching an animated show, and kind of, like, putting, you know, the pieces together, like, oh, that happened in a previous episode, this is continuing on, I think that was, in fact, when I was, uh, watching Voltron, and, and Voltron and, uh, uh, Robotech were pretty much, like, uh, in this, like, similar in the regards to the fact that they were taken from shows or series from another, um, uh, you know, from Japan, and they were kind of uh, repurposed and re-edited into, uh, you know, for the, you know, Western consumption. And just, yeah. it, it, which was, I know I've spoken about this before, but the whole, like, you know, they take several series and kind of stitch them together. Because I think they did that with Robotech just as much as they did with Voltron. If as, Am I, was that, am I correct in saying that? Or am I probably out of left field?
3: Robotech was like three different series' series hacked together like that's what I thought unrelated stories um they wanted to get the hundred episodes to to for uh, syndication or something mm-hmm. so they just went these three unrelated stories are the same show <laughs> An anime critic well as in a
0: critic of anime would say yeah that's not surprising since they all look the same <laughs> <laughs> I've
1: never it's seen I... one
0: me. Because I, because the uh, when I when I first heard about it, the uh, the s- snooty elitist teenager that I was
2: mm-hmm. went,
0: hmm. Well, let me seek down the seek out the uh, Macross, and I started watching Macross, and I realized it was probably a, probably a, 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 um, a product of its time a little bit, I mm-hmm. dated a little bit, and I kind of never caught it. Have you have you seen Robotech, Chris?
3: I've seen a little little bit, and mm. again, I was also watching it way after the time, and mm. it's really it is very much product of its time, but that made me love it. Uh, yeah, like all yeah. the all the synthesizers and everything, I was going yes, <laughs> synthesizer oh, soundtrack. Old,
0: yeah, nothing beats a good old <laughs> anime synth score.
3: <laughs> and like the like all the um, corny voiceovers and everything, it was like ah, oh, this is proper old school. Yeah, um, they did, they did. Obviously, I can I can see why you know it's obviously better to have it. If they'd done it more faithful, but mm-hmm. it it was quite fun.
0: Uh, I I would guess like the only precedent that there exi- that, that exists in. At least in the US, uh, at the time, it was probably in comics. Is that right? Yeah. Because throughout, I mean, my my um, uh, just just bear with me because my understanding and uh, of of a knowledge of comics is not that great. That's but okay. It's my understanding that in the sixties and seventies, stories were slowly becoming more serialized. Okay. As more avid and regular um, readers were reading series. So, before there was the. I, knew, I know, particularly at Marvel, there was this attitude of every comic is someone's first comic.
2: Right, yeah. And
0: I think the same uh, thought is really behind uh, the shows that we're talking about that have a reset button, like, for instance, The Simpsons sometimes, yeah. and sitcoms, basically. Uh, the idea that you can, you should just be able to drop, pick it up, and every episode could be someone's first episode.
2: Mm-hmm. So that way, you can bring in a new audience, you know, to watch the series at any point in time, no matter where you are. Which is a, yeah. which is a clever idea if you just want to try and get like the widest audience possible. Yeah, sure, um, Yeah, and
0: and also it's it's kind of how uh, I think it worked well because you were able to gently serialize whilst also keeping the idea that it should be someone's first comic mm-hmm. um,
1: trying, um no. sorry
3: sorry chris well i was trying to think because we were talking about american tv and i was kind of thinking now well, what was the situation like like with in the uk and i was thinking that was gonna be my I next think, question actually <laughs> can i i think of because basically all, all the like british animation like watching Early growing up I'm thinking, oh they're all sort of um episodic as well. But then I was thinking but then there was things like Mysterious Cities of Gold and Ulysses and stuff and again they were Japanese mm-hmm. co productions mm-hmm. or whatever with of and things like Dogtanyan and stuff, they were um generally Japanese European co productions, so they again they weren't coming from America and they had serialized stories. And mm-hmm. then, like in the '90s, things like "Animals Farming Wood," which we've mentioned before, that yes, was a serialized and I story. still to
2: this day. As no matter how yeah. dark it got,
3: serialized, terribly depressing story that makes you sad, <laughs> but the story—it so, had happy
2: moments too. But there was there was just so much. So much, so many layers of reality in that show that just came out of flipping nowhere. That at least you wouldn't, you wouldn't think by looking at the box cover as you know a kid of like seven or eight years old, and then you put on the you put on the VHS tape, and it's like, oh, these hedgehogs got run over. Oh, glorious! That's that's horrifying.
3: So, so also from like the UK and European perspective, there was more, I, I think, serialized storytelling
1: mm-hmm.
3: earlier on as well in animation. So. Um, right, right. Why do you wait, think?
0: Do you, how do you think that that happened?
3: I don't know. Uh, I'll get, tell you. Maybe comics again, because there's a big tra- in right. tradition in mainland Europe. They've mm-hmm. they've uh, been interested in Bondazine and things like that, and uh, French comics and Belgian comics and things like that. For they they take them more seriously, I think, than. Mm-hmm. And they've also imported lots of anger and stuff, so I think mm-hmm. they're perhaps more ready to. Um, and then, I mean, I'm talking about mainland Europe, but then it was imported to the UK. And to... sure,
0: I, I I guess the thing, the problem, the problem is, is that um, it's about getting it to kids, right? It's serialized stories exist um, for adults, and so do non-serialized series exist for adults. What we, I guess, what we're talking about is, even though we're animation for adults, uh, how this kind of relates to how kids are um, marketed things, particularly.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, in particular, I mean, because a lot of like, if you look at a lot of uh, television for adults, you know, whether it's you know live action or otherwise, there's um, you'll you'll see a lot of the more like popular series are are the ones that have you know complicated plots and, you know, are serialized in from episode to episode in which, you know, people can marathon. And it's interesting to see, like, you know, well, the, the kind of love or appreciation for that can start at a young age. And, you know, with uh, shows, whether they be, again, live action or animated, that kind of, you know, try to follow that trend. And I think compared to how it was, you know, at the start compared to now, there seems to be a, a lot of more uh, animated shows on television that seem to at least delve into like the idea of serialized storytelling and are doing it more often but not being obvious about it like say um for example mm. steven universe you know one look at that show and you wouldn't think that you, you would think it would be more of an episodic series you know a bit more simpler but then you know you start watching episode after episode and it's like oh wait there are like much like gravity falls too like there are a little bit of uh, there are little hints of an ongoing story and the more you get into it then all of a sudden like oh there is actually an ongoing story here we are trying to i
0: haven't uh, haven't seen enough of either actually before they get to the serialization Mm -hmm. as much as i've seen of either series um it kind of seems to be episodic to me Mm -hmm. in in the sense of sorry I, i never i never know when i'm using the right term there it's That's episodic okay. in the sense that it's a new story every week and the characters are the same, but there's not, you know, you're not going to be lost if you didn't see last week's episode.
2: Yeah. It, it's, it's, it kind of, it kind of tricks you a little bit, especially if you're starting off really early on. Cause uh, it, it really is like, I don't, I'm kind of you know speculating when I say this, like it, it's, I'm not sure if it's because the series was still trying to find each of those years were still trying to find their feet as it were, or it's mm-hmm. kind of like a combination, like, okay, certain episodes will continue the story. And maybe we'll reference some of something that happened in a more like a standalone episode, but still kind of moving toward a singular, you know, conclusion, which is, Mm -hmm. which is interesting how it could like, it's, it kind of deceives you into thinking it's a lot more simple, you know, a lot more simple than it actually is, which I thought was really, at least because the fact that we've seen a lot more shows like that in the past, this in the past decade, as opposed to um, previous Mm -hmm. decades i thought was really kind of interesting it'd be good to compare like stuff that we watched growing up and you know or even like in our young adult you know years like how things were back then as opposed to now
3: well um there's there's like completely and utterly serialized storytelling where you have you can't miss an episode Mm -hmm. or you don't know what's going on um which is not so common on on animated tv anyway i don't yeah. think or there's um for some reason i thought of it as, as in my head just now as the buffy model where there's yep. a um, there's a monster of the week but there's also an arc plot that's right. going on slowly and you build up to something but you can miss you can miss an episode and come back and you can watch that episode there are bits that you might not follow because you haven't watched all the episodes but you'll not be completely lost um, and but there's
0: like an extra, there's there's an extra payoff if you yes. are loyal. You're right. you're a loyal viewer,
3: and you get it's things good. like that with like gravity Force and things like that.
2: Mm-hmm. And even some shows I think remember like some of the uh, series that kind of experimented with that in, um, I think in the early two thousands. I think Avatar: The Last Airbender was uh was also another one of those shows where it really like it's mm. you. I mean, I don't think it was maybe that you know, that strict in terms of following the, you know, episode-by-episode episode plot, but it was, um, it definitely had an ongoing story, and, um, you, if you missed an episode, you might be, like, okay, why, are, you know, what's going on here? What are they, what are the characters referencing at this episode? Because that show had a great tendency of, uh, bringing back characters and stuff from an episode, from episodes that you thought was basically inconsequential, but then all of a sudden they show back up, it's like, oh, wait, what? <laughs>
3: I I never, I I have to confess not having really watched watched it and it will be um I'm sure people will judge me for this but Batman the animated series was that just bad of the week every week or was there any serialisation uh, in that
2: It depends I, I think I remember it, it, there was a bit of an episodic nature to it I and mean, sometimes um I don't know, it's really hard to say because I think it, it, it might have changed from season to season basis because I know the first season had like certain episodes that would carry from one to the other and expecting you to know who people were um, but if you were familiar with the characters in the comics already it didn't really matter that much because I think that was, and again, one of the when we were talking about before about animated shows being influenced by comics in terms of how they handled their storytelling that series was definitely one of them
3: Because I'm, I'm thinking that if you watch, again, I don't really watch many of them. But if you watch uh, a superhero animated show now, it's probably at least slightly serialized. uh.
2: Yeah, Young Justice was like that. So yeah, it's 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 an interesting look, like comparative, like what a comic book television series was like, you know, a couple decades ago, as opposed to what they were trying, they're trying to push for now. Like there's definitely a more emphasis on serialization.
3: There are kind of three influences on it. One is all the people who are influenced by anime, like the current generation of cartoon network shows and things like that. Are people who grew up watching things like mm-hmm. Sailor Moon and Dragon Ball and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and now they make their own show. Um, and comics, as you said, but also general like American TV, because mm-hmm. um, even like uh, things mis- used to be more episodic, like right? just popular dramas or whatever. I think, um, but like sort of in the early 2000s, like late 90s, that's when you started to get more serialized things. Things like 24 well, wouldn't have. The Sopranos. Been, yeah. Good one.
0: When uh, when um yeah when when people started to see, I mean, take TV a little bit more seriously. Mm, and the wire, there was, there was a lot of talk. Do you, or, do you remember? Of um, oh, it's like a novel,
3: yeah. Like <laughs> that's why I was thinking when you said the wire. When I said the yeah. wire, I think he, that's, where, that's where I went to. Um, yeah, and yeah, it's almost shows like, like, you're like almost that. So you
0: can it's like you're reading a book. It's so intellectual, Chris, it's such an intellectual experience. <laughs> it's like you're not even not doing anything and just watching TV, it's like you're reading a
3: book.
2: No, there's a distinct difference, but I can understand the comparison. No, I know,
3: I know. That's what people said, especially specifically with the wire. It was like, no, no, no. You, you just watch one, and yeah, whatever. You have to, you have to keep going with it because it's like it's like getting into the novel, and you have to keep going into the next chapter.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah. So I think that probably influenced as well, um, like the t- the change in TV as well. Yeah, um, and then
0: and then also... And you're probably going to get into this, Chris, but also what... I think the biggest change more than that trend was how we now consume stuff where the idea of schedules are,
3: like, almost completely personalised.
2: Anyway, mm-hmm. hey,
3: well, where we get onto the Netflix area of things.
2: Yeah, I, I, um, I, was, I was moving yeah. that direction.
3: Well,
0: before then, I think there was a... I, you probably... Can't really forget like the DVD oh, thing, yeah. yeah. So DVD the, the box idea sets. of DVD box sets, the idea of where it binge watching, binge watching and being able to catch up with yeah. things. So there was yeah the the idea of catching up. People would catch up with a TV show rather than go oh I missed that I'm not into it or or I, I guess which is probably not to be underestimated either was the audience's um, uh, demand previously of being able to watch any episode that they wanted mm-hmm. and being able to dip in and say do I have to watch all, the, all of them to understand it or can I just watch it because a lot of TV is still like that actually
3: yeah all the, the um, detective dramas and everything Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go, oh no yeah. I haven't watched all the other 56 seasons of CSI I- I can't get what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> hmm
2: Yeah, so I guess that leads us into what we were, uh, we were kind of going into before. Like, do you think that the, um, the you new know, is like, the personalized kind of, like, release, uh, releases for, like, television or even just, you know, when you have stuff on Netflix, like, you think that's affected even more of a demand for, like, serialized storytelling and animation? Because I mean, we've got stuff that Voltron is uh, one of the big ones I know that just hit, and then also um, I think uh, the latest How to Train Your Dragons also in a similar vein, like and, and Troll Hunters too. Like it's like basically almost all the big releases for DreamWorks have kind of followed that uh, fall that like that particular method. do You think that's and, you know, that, the tip of the iceberg, or
3: yeah, uh, well, it's, it's partly because of how you know that you're you're not just going to stumble on an episode. In the middle of the season, mm-hmm. unless it does then get shared on TV, I suppose.
0: Oh, so it kind of... So I, uh, thinking, almost cynically, <laughs> about it, like from a marketing point of view, it kind of requires an investment on part of the audience. Right. So okay, if you if you if you start watching Dragons, mm. you're going to watch the next one rather um, than just go oh that was a good episode I am I hope it's a good episode again next week
2: yeah because yeah. So like, they, they they put it all up right up there to, for people to watch so it's like if you you know it's mm-hmm. it's right there waiting for you so you're gonna it's like even if you don't get to it right away you're gonna get to it eventually
1: yeah
0: and
3: also, if, if also, it grabs you so the adult stuff like uh, Jack Horseman is definitely uh, something that benefits from a serialized storyline even though <laughs> again yeah, it, it's got graphic. episodic stories, but it's um, as a whole is what makes it so special.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's a brilliant example of what. Um, so, it's my understanding that Disney kind of really want to do that, um, and and Cartoon Network want to do that with. That's their that's their goal with, for, uh, for instance, Gravity Falls.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: pretty much what we were saying before if you catch one it's fine it makes sense but if you invest like the buffy model like the bojack horse model um in watching the full season you get a lot more out mm-hmm. of it
2: more more uh more media for your money as it were
0: well more media and then more because i mean really that's kind of coming from uh, I, so Alex Hirsch was really influenced One of his biggest influences is The Simpsons
1: mm-hmm.
0: And The Simpsons Is all about going back for the characters And I think that's I mean Gravity Falls is all about the characters Think about how much people love Mabel Oh
2: yeah It's,
0: yep. it's, it's about going back for more Mabel and Dipper and, and Stan And um, The story's kind of a bonus Right. I mean, That's obviously, it's true. it's yeah. it's a neat it's a neat bow, and I haven't actually seen the full series. Um, it's my understanding that it gets like very heavily serialized by towards the end.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but the legacy of the show then is all right. It's people are attached to the characters, and that way they can actually run them uh, now uh, as repeats on Saturday mornings or whenever they want. And they work perfectly fine.
2: That's a really Uh, good point. Now that I really think about it.
0: So if you think about it, it, it's a, if you think about it as making a product, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Being super cynical about it. Um, It's a, a, it's sustainable in in that sense. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Rather than if they had like, I don't know, like the Dragon Ball Z sort of model where it's, all right, let's just stick any odd episode on Saturday morning? What is it? Oh, it's a right. It makes no sense. It's the end of a tournament. Yeah. Like,
3: if you just watch one episode of Dragon Ball, you have literally no idea if you've
0: never no, seen it. I, you're I, like, what it the or hell? It one of
2: the... I remember <laughs> yeah,
3: that was my
0: <laughs> that was my first experience of on TV doing
1: what?
2: Yeah, it was I think it was um <laughs> before um I think I'm trying to remember when I was uh. When I was first getting introduced, I think it was literally, like, as I remember I, I did eventually go back and watch the rest of, like, you know, Dragon Ball from the beginning and back into Z and, you know, was able to was able to find out what was going on. But I think I remember one time, like, I caught it up, my brother and I were caught it on TV. It was literally the episode where Goku's fighting Frieza as a Super Saiyan before the planet that's about to explode. And it's just like, I remember we were just sitting there watching, like, what the heck is this?
0: Yeah, I I used to have to sometimes catch it, like, around my friend's place. And I would have, because of the nature of how TV used to work, I just missed a few episodes and I'd have to, like, ask him what the heck's going on and he'd catch me up. Mm-hmm. But um, I, that was certainly, like, I, I've spoken about this countless times before, but that was certainly my, part of my... Um, reason for getting into anime around the age of about 12 13 mm-hmm. was the understanding and thirst for a bigger investment in a storyline exactly um, because it yeah. feels epic when you hear oh there are 200 episodes and they're all uh one big story you're like wow that sounds i can i can handle that and like mm-hmm. so so there i think you also have to think about um the age group that is being considered, exactly. Uh, when these things are made, and that's something that, um, in kids' TV at least, is thought about really, really um, seriously and hard. They're very specific when a when a TV show is being made for kids. They're very specific ideas about the age bracket of the exactly, audience yeah. they're going for. Um, even though, like for instance, things like. Um, Gravity Falls and Steven Universe and Adventure Time, uh, uh, kind of spill out into you know uh, people up until their their thirties as as audiences. The core audience that is considered is probably something like seven to twelve, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the um, general target audience for those that kind of yeah. kind of programming.
0: So when they're making it, they have to think. Is this gonna work for a seven-year-old as much as it will a twelve-year-old? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a real challenging thing to do. And I that's think that's a
2: big age gap. But they're between you know kids from age seven to age twelve. Their interests and in, you know interests in the kids of that age can shift just mm-hmm. within a few years.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing, um, like the, the tricky thing as well, but no like people because kids are people um, no uh, no two kids kind of consume things in the same way mm-hmm. so um, i I have some uh, I have some little cousins and they don't really pay much attention to if they're watching the first episode of something when they even though it's on Netflix it's just well that's the show I want to watch and they click. They click the face of the character on the Netflix, um, you know, uh, poster that pops up and whatever episode happens to be the last one that they were halfway through, they just start watching it (laughs) because it doesn't really occur to them that it's like a novel or anything like that. Okay. So they're kind of working with a wider audience than, than, um,
3: than you might expect, perhaps.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I really jump all over the place here, but just mm. whatever's coming in my head. Uh, an interesting example in again going back into adult animation is with South Park because that was always incredibly right. episodic, and in more recent seasons they started doing serialized storytelling.
2: Right, I believe we brought this up. I think my might have been in one of our previous episodes, but yeah, go ahead.
3: They've done like whole season length story. They they'll still have oh this is. Yeah, this is th- this is the plot of this episode, but the, mm. just for this episode. But there is definitely serialized elements, and it builds up to something. Um, and that's that's an interesting thing to do when you've been running for like <laughs> nearly twenty years or twenty years or whatever it is. Yeah, like all go. of a sudden, just go. Yeah. It'd be like
2: if Simpson
3: oh, yeah, suddenly went. Yeah. Actually, this season. <laughs> The Simpsons well, is going we... to be one storyline.
0: That well, I guess the Simpsons actually kind of was a little bit revolutionary. Well, not revolutionary for itself, I suppose. Um, in the Who Shot Mister Burns thing, yeah. Uh, between was it seasons four and five, or five? No and idea. Six? So, um, and I remember, I I seem to remember that there was once a two-parter episode of the Rugrats
2: yeah i forget which uh, one that there was. was
0: i can't remember but there was i'm pretty sure to be continued
3: there are um, things that I, happen in the simpsons that stay happen like characters die and they're dead
0: oh yeah yeah like it's its a bit like a soap opera i guess in that sense but you you it's not vital that you're you're following it like that i was i, the I think um, the
2: same way I'm just, just making sure because I only saw a few episodes of Futurama as opposed to like as much of the Simpsons yeah
0: Futurama um so by and large it was like the Simpsons it was episode by episode uh a new story but they tended I think towards the end they started to do um I don't know what the word is the finales and premieres felt different mhm and certainly by the weird fourth season. Uh, was that was that the one that was on Comedy Central and was like weirdly adult?
3: Was it maybe that I'm was not, the one that was actually that movies that was like split into? No,
0: no, there was the, yeah, no, there was one that was movies that was split, and then there was also another entire fourth season.
3: I think there was a couple yeah, more I seasons remember. on Comedy Central before it was <laughs>
0: Right, I cannot freaking remember, man. Okay, okay. Well, that makes sense. So I remember there was always like a sort of excitement around a to be continued, like oh yeah, yeah. cuz like a, even
2: if a series <laughs> wasn't full on like serialized, like there would always be like sometimes if they wanted to change things up, they could always throw in a two parter episode.
0: Yeah, and if there's something, I think that audiences on a like, um, like kind of basic level. Crave and understand is the what's going to happen next.
2: Mm-hmm. It's the, so the you can huck, do that moment the huck to huck moment.
0: Yeah, you can do that moment to moment. Um, and you can do that to um, you know, uh, across uh, a whole story, across a season, across multiple seasons. And mm-hmm. I think that's really what but personally, I think that's what Netflix kind of taps into is like people always people kind of and, and just binging in general. People talk about it as like an addictive thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, when you hear about someone getting to Game of Thrones, they say, oh, I watched like two seasons in the weekend and I didn't sleep. but It was great. It's this really addictive sense of like what's going to happen next sort of thing going on. Um I, do you know, what, Rachel, you're probably the expert on this because I haven't seen um, Troll Hunters or the new Voltron series mm-hmm. um, or anything uh, kind of in the realm that we're talking about.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, is it is it completely serialized in the way that, say, I guess, uh, Dragon Ball is?
2: Um, it is really hard to, what I've, what I've tend to notice with a lot of different, um, shows, especially, well, Voltron, I didn't definitely say because that was made by the same people who did, uh, who, who worked heavily on uh, Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra, that it, there is a good deal of, like, um, especially Voltron, like, episode by episode basis, like, certain things that happened in previous episodes will, um, reflect, will reflect in how the story is going to move forward or say, like, okay, we need to get a and b in order to proceed with c kind of mentality but um it's not to the point at least not like you said not to the the dbz level where like if you come in on an episode you have no (laughs) idea what's going on because Mm -hmm. each episode kind of gives you a moment to kind of understand you know the personalities of the characters and how they work off each other and like okay this is the episode this is the story for this episode and this is you know kind of how it's going to lay into the overall uh, overall arc
0: kind of thing it's not it's
2: not it's not jarring if it's if that's yeah
0: that sounds really good to me um i was i was um i've seen people talking about this a lot recently on twitter um because there's a slight um i think so so basically the reason that that box sets and things like got popular um, was because of shows like Buffy that you were able to watch as a whole and get something out of uh, but also watch bit by bit week by week and and miss a couple episodes here and there and have just as satisfying an experience with mm-hmm. um, and it's really good to, like basically to hear what you're saying is that they're making complete episodes still because Personally, um, I think that that's a danger that Netflix has. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is like talking about Netflix very specifically in the shows that they make. Um, Stranger Things and House of Cards, which are the shows that I uh, have seen the most uh, from Netflix. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that I think they are not very good at making complete episodes with beginning, middle and end, Oh, um, okay. In the same satisfying way that like a good episode of Buffy or Lost or Breaking Bad would.
1: hmm
0: um, I think there's a danger of getting a little bit too piecemeal with storytelling.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um this is this is I guess a bit more general and not necessarily um you know centered specifically on animated shows, but yeah. for my liking I think that's something that um is healthy to have in in TV And for it to be too much like a novel um it's not massively uh satisfying really No
2: it's not and I, I uh, agree with you 100% that is definitely you know if we allow if, if if you know creators aren't careful and they get like just like ooh we got to keep people hooked onto the next episode without even telling a complete story in the episode that you're dealing with and you're right it just becomes it's it's, it's not as the episodes become less satisfying as a result
0: yeah yeah i, I guess it's like it, the harshest uh criticism i could give of something like stranger things is it's about three episodes of a good story with a lot of filler and wheel spinning and making it look like something's going to happen and then it not actually happening and
1: mm. it adding
0: up to running time but not really story. Okay. So I guess it, at the least um, something that is semi-serialized like for instance um, Buffy or Gravity Falls it is kind of forced to tell at least one compelling story every
3: episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about it earlier but Archer is another example of something that started off more um, episodic and then added more serialised storytelling with some of the other seasons. Uh, like, Archer Vice is one series where it... Um, I think it tells basically a, a full story for the whole season. Like, uh, Oh, wow. I think it might even yeah. pick up like from one bit to the next. Um mm. And
0: That's got to be a Netflix thing. That's got be, I, I'm pretty sure it. that Archer. Arch, no, I know, but I think they are very aware that it, the show's life after TV will be on Netflix.
3: But it's it's interesting when a TV when a show as, as as starts off more episodic and then sort of gets the confidence to when it's been going a while to go, hey, we're actually mm-hmm. gonna. Stick a serialized story in, and I I, I kind of like that when they do that.
2: Yeah, because I think at that point they know if if peop you know if it's been around that long, then people should know who watch know the characters and know that you know they've been through a bunch of different situations. Like okay, now we're gonna try and find a story that maybe either challenges the characters in a certain way or um, you know puts them you know it's, it's you know to see a different side of the characters that we've gotten to know and love for years and kind of try to put them in a new light that maybe audiences hadn't seen before Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and you can't do that without
2: consequences
0: you can't do that without the trust of the audience and Mm -hmm. i think it's when an audience like i was saying like really begins to attach themselves to characters you can start to tell stories about uh their lives with consequence I i always remember that was a real um Pull for me with uh, particularly manga and anime uh, stories was, um, and I wasn't getting it so much out of animated shows and particularly comics um, mm-hmm. uh, made in pretty much in the US, um, was the idea of consequence. Like, if something happens, it could stay happened. Yeah, exactly. Right,
1: rather than like, like like
3: we're saying, like the reset button. hmm you know, where... there's there's a really bizarre time when that hit me when I was first getting into manga as a as a youth when I was mm-hmm. reading Rama One Half ad or Rammer Half or however you say it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like in I think it was like in the second volume, one of the main characters got a haircut. She had long hair to start off with, and then she had a hair. She had, I think it was an accident where her hair got accidentally cut off, so then she got a haircut, and it stayed like that for the rest of the series. And it's just like, whoa, things change. <laughs> <laughs> things actually change. In this. a yeah, Long hair
1: again.
2: In the next episode.
0: Yeah, I wonder if that doesn't have something to do with, um, like psychologically. How you come to accept change and not repetition as you get older?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: They can't. There can't be. It can't be a coincidence. I don't think that. No. That, I, I mean, just just here, like that. That we all kind of recognise that thirst at a particular age for stories with consequences and change and things that stick um, and stay changed.
2: Yeah, I think, I think there's a, there's definitely a particular age, but, you know, I'm sure it's different for every kid, where, I mean, you do, you do kind of have that aha moment, and you want to see more of it, because it's, you know, that, those kind of stories challenge you, you know, it challenges your perception of how, like, okay, you know, something happened, this is the consequence of it, and now the characters have to live with said consequences, and then that's the kind of thing you watch, it's like, oh, they gotta live with those consequences. How are they, you know, how are they gonna go about dealing with said consequences? And you want to, you know, kids get really invested in that, because it's, and it's, it kind of, you know, I guess put you know, their own emotional investment, in like, okay, if something like that were to happen to me, how would I react, kind of thing. Kind of applying yeah. what they're watching to, like, okay, you know, like I said, make, makes them think. And maybe not in, uh, you know, depending on the show, maybe not like, too terribly hard. it depends on, like, what the show is, you know, kind of demanding of them to kind of Come to terms with, and you know again how you know they, their age and how you know their perception of the world you know depends on you know goes from household to household, but it's yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about.
3: Because really, young kids just want to watch the same thing again and again.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: The, that's kind of what what I'm yeah you what can, you're getting
0: yeah, at. That's exactly yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, is is they the literally want to watch the same episode. Safe.
3: Yeah, they want not Oh their, yeah, oh, my oh, nephew yeah. wants to watch the particular episode of Bing that he wants to watch again because I want to watch the car is it the one where
0: Bing is it the one where Bing wets the bed no
3: that's the only one I've seen that's
0: the only one I've seen (laughs) um yeah I think there's there's a big part of that and the problem that I guess people
3: haven't seen that one (laughs) (laughs) sorry I've seen a lot of Bing Um,
0: so, so they can still be spoilers in a non-serialized uh, show.
1: Apparently, um,
0: yeah. Apparently. <laughs> um, so, but also, I guess the tricky thing that we're we're getting at is that all kids are different, and 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 but but around the age of, I guess, I'm just estimating here. From, I guess, conservatively, eight until fourteen.
1: Mm-hmm
0: it's anyone's game how adult or how mature or um, what, what a kid's taste is like and that's not even counting uh, you know gender or geological um, demographics mm-hmm. uh, so it must be really hard for for, um, for people making shows to to decide on that risk Because it is a risk, and and you you run the risk of alienating uh, a good, uh, you know, like, sometimes up to 60% of your audience if you screw up on on serialization. Yeah. But that being said, I was into Dragon Ball since the age of probably 9, 10. Mm -hmm. Probably 10, I guess. Um... And I kind of got what the deal was pretty quickly that there were things that I'd missed. And the thing, <laughs> I, th- I think the thing that um, is kind of forgotten sometimes about kids is that they'll do what you tell them to, by and large. And if you encounter something and you're like, oh, this is how it is, and this is how the world is with this particular thing that I've encountered, you kind of adapt to it, right? Yeah
3: thinking about it like a lot of the things that I watched when I was uh, really young thing think like the early the, um, French European Japanese co-productions things like Willy Fog and things like that 80 Days Around the World and Dog Tanya and stuff they were all, all telling the story so I got I, I never saw any of those nah youngster i know i
0: completely miss them i i miss out on lost cities of gold i I feel particularly sore
3: about that yeah yeah it's a good one (laughs) You,
2: you, you can only you can only watch so much of that you know so much television in your child in your childhood but it's it's there's always gonna be something you miss but it's it's one of the nice things about uh about the modern age is that you know even if you missed it you, if you're still curious, mo- most likely you're gonna find some kind of like uh, video audio clip on the internet of someone who said, "Oh, this was a thing back in the day," and then you just check it out and see. Finally, see for yourself, like, "Oh, that's what that was—that thing that yeah. I heard through the grapevine on the schoolyard."
0: <laughs> yeah, and and I guess also the I guess the benefit as well is because shows aren't competing for airtime anymore, mm-hmm. so. Going back to what we were talking about with um, with shows being, you know, like a product that that okay, we just have to we have to boost awareness of our of our property, So put it on, just get one episode on every Saturday morning, um, just to, just just to let kids know that this thing exists, so they can buy the toy. Uh, they're not going to give um, a toss about uh, serialization,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but and and also they're competing for airtime there. Now, I, get, I I I haven't actually seen it, but I would Ebb would um, Avatar be something which has kind of broken that mold? Where, I mean, I I, I think they did a really good job of um, letting it be letting it be known that it is a serialized story. With the fact that, like, mm-hmm. on every DVD case it says Book One, Book Two, and you yeah, know, exactly. oh, okay, this is this is meant to be watched in a particular order. And I, I I get the impression that quite young kids are watching that.
2: Oh no, yeah. Um, I remember like I'm trying to remember. I think I came out of that series. I was in, uh, I was still in middle school when I first, uh, when I actually happened upon the very first airing of, uh, the first two episodes. And it was, I, it was amazing because it was by complete accident. Like I had not seen any advertising of the series up until that point. I just. Kind of just, I came back home from school, I flipped the channel to Nickelodeon, and there it was in all its glory. And I'm just like, whoa, wait a second. Because it literally opens up with kind of giving you the, um, kind of the, where, this, where the series, you know, starts, like, in terms of the story. Like, what's happened in this strange new world. And, uh, just kind of, it kind of kicks off with saying, okay, there's this legend of this ancient, you know, powerful being called the Avatar that's reincarnated every, you know every, you know, every, you know, every different, like, life cycle, and it's, and from there, it just kind of, it goes from there, and like you said, it starts with, um, with chapters, like, this is book one, and book two, and book three, as it, the series goes on, and with different, uh, kind of chapters, t- telling that particular story of that particular arc, and, yeah, it was, it was kind of, you're right, I think it kind of sort of broke a mold in a certain story, you know, uh, in terms of, uh, serialized storytelling at that particular time, because, I mean, there were other shows that kind of you know experimented with that as well i mean I think uh, the only other the other one that comes to mind in a in a way was uh disney uh the disney afternoons uh, gargoyles series did something like it was I mean, not exactly of a similar nature because it didn't have like you know okay this is where you are in the story but it kind of it tried to tell an ongoing narrative
3: well, wasn't the nin- like the 90s x-men cartoon wasn't that Sterilized. I was
0: gonna. I think that. Okay, yeah. That came. That came into my mind when we were talking about comic books. I think that they used to do like three parters, um, pretty or something. much. Yeah, pretty much in the style of old comic books. They would do a couple of two parters, um, like a finale kind of thing. But then they would also just have standalone episodes. But they would also. But 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 kind of cleverly using. Um, loyalty, I guess. Loyalty viewing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they would play off like old comic books would on, you know, the return of Doc Ock and the return. And you'll be like, oh, there's uh, either. And and then if you if you had missed the first one, you're like, oh, well, this is exciting because apparently they face off before, so there must still be some beef. Um,
2: yeah. So that, that would have to you, I, I have you have try down it. the episode where it's like, oh, where did this conflict start?
0: Yeah, it's well. I guess it's what The Simpsons did with Sideshow Bob. Right? <laughs> it's oh, it's
3: just like he's back. You get a step on some breaks.
0: Yeah, and I, I guess you know adults love repetition. Then as much as <laughs> as, much as kids, because look at all the movies being made. And the thing there that's changed uh, for audiences and people like marketing and releasing uh, the. The shows is choice. you can choose whether you want to watch twenty in a row or just two
1: mm-hmm. or even
0: one and before you didn't have that choice
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um, i think I think the idea of choice is a really interesting one, considering programming and um, versus how it used to be and how it is now
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, personally i 'm beginning to worry that. Um, and this is just like, I guess, internet wide and people have spoken about it before. uh, And we have certainly in terms of like a bubble, Mm -hmm. you know, like the, the, the bubble that you find yourself in is ideas that you repeat back to the world and you want repeated back at you. And as such with people watching less and less TV, like more and more people in their twenties are like, Oh, I don't have a TV. You don't watch TV. Mm -hmm. They absolutely watch TV shows, but they don't watch TV. Yes. Uh, so you're not getting things which you wouldn't usually. Um, uh, you, you're not getting things that um, are kind of outside of your expectations and mm-hmm. obvious tastes. It's Like
2: you said, it's more of a bubble. Kind of like you just you just stay in your own personal bubble than being forced to see something that maybe doesn't entirely click with you. But you know, you it's you could learn mm-hmm. to like if you really you know went out you know thought outside the box of what you're what you personally cared for
0: yeah i think so i think what i'm saying is there's maybe this is not to get to uh what's the word red pill about it there's an Mm -hmm. illusion of choice there's an illusion of free will and and (laughs) choice around around programming and stuff
2: i don't think we've gotten quite to that level yet but it's like it's it's like with every like kind of science fiction or like you know in terms of speculation there's always there's always a danger. There's always like if we become you know, people become too reliant on certain aspects of technology and like something you know, it's it's interesting it's interesting to think about. It's important to think about.
3: If we if we could basically sum it up, would we agree that the moving towards um serialized storying storytelling is a positive thing in animation, generally.
2: I think it's an important one, at least in the aspect of the whole, like, when we were talking about, you know, having those kind of stories, you know, presented to, at least, you know, in animated, you know, television and cartoons, presenting it at a, you know, at a certain age range to help challenge them or help to, you know, make them think about, you know, in terms of, like, you know, the scope of the story and the characters, like, what could happen in terms of, you know, how would that, you know, how do I apply that to what's going on in my life in a certain way? I like, I like that aspect of serialized storytelling
0: mm. yeah I, I think for me
2: it's,
0: I think for me it's just choice and variety and giving giving uh, your audience kind of the choice to decide how old they are rather than that being dictated to them if I was to put myself in, the, in, a, in a kid's shoes um, you know maybe from a 10 year old to to a, to a, to a 14 year old, I suppose. I'd want the choice of whether I'm watching SpongeBob or Avatar or Naruto or um or Gravity Falls or you know I I think I think for me that's that's the thing is is just there being variety. There are always going to be shows which are just eleven minute episodic things such as Gumball or um Mm -hmm. and there's absolutely room for that sort of thing still. So I don't think it's a matter of it being phased out. It's just a matter of it probably being more common. Mm-hmm.
2: Exactly.
3: It definitely allows you to tell, I think, bigger stories. Obviously, well, obviously, <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> the point. Yeah, but it mm-hmm. we can, yeah. more interesting story, and not just in children's animation, but also like when we were talking about South Park and things like that. I think, I think it's a good thing.
2: Yeah, it can add a, it add a new layer to even adult adult comedy series as well, which is which is good, and especially for uh, shows like South Park and Archer and Simpsons and you know what have you whatever whatever kind of animation comes down the line, you know, in years to come. It's it's definitely something to uh, keep in mind and appreciate.
3: Yeah, I think if BoJack Horseman had just been uh, an episodic on TV. Every- every week show it wouldn't have been quite as special as it is so
1: mhm <laughs>
2: Yeah, great, great discussions all around. I'm uh, we've uh, had a lot of had a lot of fun with this one. So, I think if we want to just kind of wrap wrap things up there, um, and just go to the water cooler? Uh, I know I personally haven't had that much, you know, had not had a really chance to see anything that new other than the usual kind of standard, uh series that I've been trying to keep up with, but. Um, and I know Chris had the opportunity to see a certain documentary that's been getting a lot of buzz recently and is definitely worth talking about. Uh, so, Chris, you want to take it away there?
3: Yes, this is an Oscar-nominated documentary. And we should say that we're recording this uh, uh, before the Oscars happen. So yeah. we don't know if it won. We don't know anything that won. So by the time all you listen to this, you'll know. But we don't know. Um... And it we'll
2: get th- we'll get to there. It's I think th- we
3: do know,
0: right? We do know that like La La Land's gonna take best. Every he's it's gonna it's gonna win best documentary as well.
3: Yeah, that. well, we already said La La Land's gonna win best animated feature just somehow, even <laughs> it's Just not. because it's yeah. La La Land. It's Just gonna win everything. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, this is the documentary Life Animated, uh, which interestingly enough was shown on BBC Four in the UK. On um, as part of the Storyville uh, strand and if you're listening to this before I think the 25th of May, no May, March May <laughs> 25th of March 2017 uh, and you're in the UK you can actually watch it on iPlayer so you can catch up um, this oh Dan you watched it as well didn't you yeah I did yeah this oh, is this is uh, a true story about um, a family. Uh, they had a a young son who, uh, about the age of three, uh, suddenly stopped being. A, he he had, was basically he had severe autism, and he stopped being able to um, communicate with his family. Uh, he just completely shut down, and they couldn't get through to him. But eventually, they discovered uh, through his love of animation and specifically Disney films um, that they could communicate with him um, and that that was one of the ways they could try and help him to understand the world and it basically tells his story and he's now like um, he's now at the time of the filming he was 23 years old um, and trying to make progress uh, move to like uh Housing of his own and get a job and things like that, and um, and it's basically about how his love of animation has helped him to make his way and understand the world around him. Basically, and it's amazing. <laughs>
2: it's, it sounds like an absolutely incredible story and one that I'm very very eager to see.
3: And it um obviously it's very moving and uh, but it actually has like little animation bits produced for it as well Um, it was actually done by really well done by McGuff who who are actually um Illumination McGuff you made a Illumination um started out as just a studio called McGuff and um I think I believe like uh, American Studio acquired them and that's uh, basically, what has become Illumination Entertainment in Paris, who make some movies like Despicable Me and Minions and Secret Life of Pets, and yeah, well, um, <laughs> they made the like, these little animation sequences, um, and you get like little flashback uh, sequences of some of the tougher experiences of his life and stuff. But there's also this: he actually ends up writing a story. Uh, when he's at a particularly tough point in his life, when he's trying trying to go into high school, and uh, basically he was, he was badly bullied and stuff, um, mm. and he uh, wrote he wrote a story because uh, he he said he didn't he didn't think of himself as a hero. He identified more with the sidekicks in the in the story, and mm-hmm. he started writing a story about where he was the protector of sidekicks. Oh my goodness. And he, he like filled this book full of all the sidekicks from Disney films. Uh, and uh, basically he writes this story and they brought it to life in animation with him Oh my goodness. Like with all with like uh, like a um is it a poo? No, from Aladdin, is it a poo? A boo. A boo. Yeah, a yeah, boo. I'm thinking it's not a poo. It's not a poo, that's a <laughs> boo and uh, Iago and from Aladdin and like all their sidekick characters, and Dan, what what do you think of this film? I um
0: I really liked it. It was a completely heartbreaking mm-hmm. story. I had a slightly more complicated reaction to it than I was expecting. Um, so it, it's it's really um it's a really brilliantly told. Story and I was, my opinion of it certainly changed throughout watching it. Early on, I was not quite so sure what it was trying to say mm-hmm. um, about his involvement with, well, his attachment basically to the films and um, what he and how really they helped him. Um, because it, basically, the, the the story, the, the turning point was. Um, I mean, he, he he was obsessed with watching Disney cartoons, and he would watch all the videos. Um, did you notice, by the way, that he at no point upgraded?
3: Yes, did he? I did. I was... <laughs> that was.
0: That was one of the most baffling parts of the film for me. I was. I was
3: <laughs> thinking. Look at all those VHSs. Like right. twenty thirteen. Reminds me of my own collection.
0: Right. I guess it's a very, a very expensive thing to do to replace your entire disney collection mm-hmm. oh yeah
2: it's, um, it's, I, i'm still actually in the process of doing that and it's it's not easy
0: <laughs> yeah it's, it's something i've only ever done in drips and drabs um but basically it's it's about how um he's essentially made mute by his autism uh, around like you're saying chris around the age of three and his parents and his brother struggled to get anything out of him and his parents um were very loving and they had one uh one child uh an older his older brother who does not have autism and my personal reaction to it was uh through no fault of their own really um and also to do with the uh, the, uh, the understanding of what autism is and how uh to live with it and how to um allow entire families to cope with it has come leaps and bounds, thankfully, since, uh, you know, in the last even, like, 10 years, but certainly 20 years. And um, my reaction to it was that there was a misunderstanding to just uh, how amazing his uh, his story was, Only, only in the sense that I was... I guess I was on the defensive about Disney being um, a childish thing Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: I was worried at the start of the film that the way they were talking about his attachment to uh, these films was something um, was was something childish and there is certainly a, a degree to which that's the case um with like, actually like we were saying before about the idea of safe repetition mm-hmm. and it being like a comfort blanket you knowing what's going to happen but um and 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 the the turning point story not to give too much away is when his dad um in a moment of i don't complete uh, hope and and I, I don't i don't know what um a, Attempts to communicate with um, uh, with this guy. Uh, so what's he called? Uh, Iago. I've forgotten his name. No, no, no. The the um, the boy? Oh my goodness. The boy. Uh, Owen. The man in
1: the film. Oh.
0: Owen. Yeah. Attempts to communicate with Owen using the voice of Iago. And Owen then begins to uh, respond to his father for the first time in years using Jafar's dialogue. And um, not to just completely describe the film. What's amazing is, and I felt sorry, was that I, I didn't... Um, I'm, I'm having trouble with it because I only saw it today and I'm still kind of processing it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I felt very sorry for Owen because I felt that there was a misunderstanding to how uh, creative his response was to all of these films. He was talking about them purely in terms of obviously relating them to his own life and experiences and seeing characters behave and 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 um understanding to a to a degree, I think, understanding human behaviour um from the films. But he was definitely processing them as stories. Mm-hmm. And um I felt sorry for the fact that I'm not sure if I was projecting anything. I probably was, but <laughs> that his father didn't understand just how creative he was, and he was a, like he's bloody good artist as well. <laughs> and I, I personally, my heart went out to to that side of him. Uh, the fact that his parents expected him to um, fit in in the same way that his brother had, I guess. Mm. Um, but anyway, that's 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 my personal response to the film, and it's probably slightly off kilter. I don't know. Am I am I making sense, Chris? Do you know what I'm talking about, or is this just a very... Was I just projecting way too much?
3: No, uh, I I didn't really see it like that. Uh, okay. okay, I just
0: I was I was I, I'm I'm, I'm going to say I was. Um, it's it's it is an amazing film. Though, and the way that his story is told is uh, is really, really beautiful. You get it in these little interactions. I love the scenes with him and his brother, actually. Mm. Um. And uh. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. And the the ending of the film, which I'm absolutely not going to spoil, is is uh, incredible.
3: Well, what? Uh, what I find really beautiful and moving about it is basically how his his entire family, um, as they discovered that that's the way to communicate with him, they they can you know they can throw out dialogue from the films and things, <laughs> and you know, and if he throws out a, a line, they'll be able to say one back. You know, they've because they know that's his passion and if, and it's the way mm-hmm. that they broke through to him they've it's like they've gone they've adopted the passion as well that they watch the films and they they know oh
0: yeah absolutely and yeah that, there's a scene where they i mean there are a couple of scenes where um where he starts singing lines from beauty and the beast song and his parents follow and it's not like t- it's I can't remember what song it is from beauty and the beast it's um, this is one that Lumiere sings. It's not be like, our guest. It's not like, is it be our guest?
2: That's the only one that, that I can think... recall that is he's that...
0: sung. Oh, okay, okay, it must be, it must be the start of be our guest then. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, th- that's really what the film is about for me is is their relationship and the heartbreaking uh change, I guess, and understanding and misunderstanding that arise from him interacting with society and just his parents and his and his family. Uh but it's it's not um I guess it's just not the film that I expected it to be. It's um I, I see something a little bit more uh yeah, I don't know more more nuance perhaps about his involvement with the films and and then being um, I don't know then him understanding a lot more than people I think give gave him credit for. Mm-hmm. I, I I guess that's what I'm saying. There's the there's a sense that basically the thing that we actually try and combat, which is this. This misconception that animation is for kids. Uh, yeah, just for me personally, uh, apart from a few aspects of uh, Disney films, which I, I guess, um, don't get into harder parts of of adult life, particularly, um, you know, challenges of adolescence and 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 beyond. Um, I I felt that. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, I, I, I don't really know how to articulate what what I'm, what I'm trying to say very well, but I was just very wary and a little bit on the defensive about, animation being seen as a kiddie thing,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um. Because actually, watching watching the documentary, it, it, if anything, it really reminded me that because he was, he, um, Owen's a massive fan of. Real classic Disney stuff. He's like in the film. He's watching Bambi. Mm-hmm. and all of those old 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 um older ones like peter pan is a favorite of his
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I, they to me like there's no there's nothing much different between watching bambi and and, uh, and an opera really
1: it's, oh, yeah. it's just
0: music and rhythm and sound and story all in one um and i was i was curious as to as to maybe for him, how it maybe was a childish thing or not. Um, And the film sort of gets into that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, That for me was the most interesting part of the story. Uh, But yeah, you should absolutely um, check it. I think it's available on DVD elsewhere. I
2: need to find it. I need to find it right now because I want to watch it so bad. After hearing you guys talk about it and also, I I just remember when I... uh, I think I told it when I mentioned it, Dan, we were uh, talking about the Annies in uh, one of our other podcast episodes, which you should definitely check out. Um, mm-hmm. We were, I, I remember they they brought up that document. That was the first I'd heard of it. And uh, yeah, they had, you know, they brought on Gilbert Gottfried himself to talk about it when they introduced the trailer for it. And then um, they also brought out the the director and Owen himself all came up on stage. And, you know, just from that one experience or one introduction of it, I'm just like, okay, I need to find this movie now. I need to know if I can find it and watch it because it sounds incredible. Because I think it's just like you mentioned, like you said, Dan. Like there is a new. It does sound like a kind of documentary that I think I know I could probably put some, uh, you know, I will maybe not project per se, but uh, identify in a way with this particular story and and you know, about Owen and how he used, uh, you know, he how he. Interact, you know, basically found a way to interact with the world by learning and you know, experiencing those stories from Disney. So, if I'm if I'm saying that right, I probably don't know. Yeah, probably no, but you,
0: it's yeah, you're completely describing the film.
2: <laughs> so yeah, uh, it's that's amazing, and I just, I'm I'm glad you guys got the chance to see it, and hopefully, I will be able to follow suit uh, sometime in the very near future. <laughs>
3: Check out my review on the website. Yep, thank That's you.
2: a good one. Okay, so uh, I think that about does it for today's episode. So uh, thank you for uh, joining us today,
3: and mm-hmm. gentlemen,
2: once again, thank you for coming on and talk you know to talk with me about this. It was a really fun discussion.
3: Pleasure as always thank you for having us.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. As always. Um, yeah, so if, uh, yeah, check, keep your uh, eyes glued to Animation for Adults for further news updates, articles, and podcasts. And, you know, if you want to follow us on social media, we are available on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Tumblr. Um, I think even, uh what was, I'm, I'm always, I always miss at least a couple of our social media outlets because we just Bebo. have so freaking frick, many.
3: We're not on Bebo, no. No, we're,
2: <laughs> we're not, not on, on Bebo. Bebo. I know or that. MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> not... I know that much. Um I know we're also on uh, we're on Instagram also.
3: Yeah, vaguely. Endorse us for
0: anything you like on LinkedIn as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Why not?
2: <laughs> Why not? Just throw that in there. But yeah, just uh follow us on whichever social media you prefer and uh you can follow the website or you can follow us individually. Uh Dan, where can we find you?
0: You can find me on Twitter at Hamu.
2: Chris, how about you?
3: I can find me at Mr. Cristor on Twitter and Facebook.
2: All right, very good. And if you want to follow me personally, you can find me at Twitter uh, at Fail Ninja. All right, thanks to you once again for joining us, everybody, and we will see you in the next episode. Have a good Bye-bye. one.
3: Bye. Thanks, bye. Uh...
0: And then, <laughs> and then there's the outtakey bit it right, talks about shoving vegetables where they shouldn't
3: be I don't know if we've we said of the real outtakes this week I'm Apart not sure one, the one we just had <laughs> just now that's it
2: well what about me screaming during the intro <laughs>
3: that was a pretty good one I, I, I did I like
2: the
0: sudden <laughs> panic
2: <Sandcaster>, why <laughs> <laughs>
0: I was, I was a little bit heartbroken that you cut the thing out of the last episode, Chris. What was? <laughs> um, the insect uh, vegetable here. Insect vegetable.
3: Hair. <laughs> it was not it, it was the outtake.
0: <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, post credit. Um,
1: post credit outtake.
0: Hostage. Yeah. I didn't listen that far. Okay. Beep.